We can keep this up as long as you can, Nicolas Cage. On this episode, we discuss Trespass. Flop House. I'm Dan McCoy. I'm Elliot Kalin. And I'm Jubin Parang. That's right. Uh, Stuart is visiting... Uh, his family. His family in Fort Wayne for a late Christmas, as I understand it. Well, since, as we established in the last episode, he worships Crom, mm-hmm. Cromian Christmas <laughs> is actually in late January. Oh. That's Cromian Reform Christmas. Yeah. Orthodox Crom Christmas is December 25th. But Jubin is uh, one of our co-workers... At The Daily Show. A writer at The Daily Show with Jon Stewart. What is that exactly? Uh, It is a topical comedy show that makes light of the foibles of modern-day politicians and the media that covers them. It's a great show. I'm sleeping already. I would encourage you guys to check it out. It's funnier than it sounds. It's funnier (laughs) than I made it sound. I would encourage you guys to check it out. It's a really good... uh, it's a really good, you know, I mean, we have fun, you know. Okay. I think I think you mostly will enjoy how much fun we have. <laughs> okay, that sounds fair, I guess. Comedy comes from. Jubin, uh, Jubin started on the same day that I started. Mm-hmm. Yes. We although were... hired before me. Well, we won't get into that. But, uh... Wha- oh, you know yeah. what, is that, uh, is that, oh, really? Dan's yeah. always held oh, that yeah. against you, and in fact... Uh, this inviting you onto the podcast was an elaborate prank to get an even. Airing of grievances. But I convinced Dan not to fill a bucket no. with pig's blood and dump it on your head. No, I want it. I want it. <laughs> let's let's get it out. Let's clear the air publicly. No, I don't think we need this, that. I would like but to be. I would like to be the first step of the podcast evolution towards more of a grievance of airs, what? airing <laughs> grievances, grievance of airs, yeah, grievance that's of airs. Shakespeare's grievance of airs. <laughs> now let's the, let the healing begin by smothering Jubin in pig's blood. I was actually very glad that we uh, that we started together. That we mm-hmm. we had because I we definitely I definitely had someone who was, you know, was, was also like thrown like into the fire. Yeah, yeah. And I was glad because it was two more people who were junior to me at the show. Well, you, you already, you had, you, pretty... had, you already had three people junior. Dude. Yeah, but five is even better. Yeah. That's true. Yeah, it's always better to just You're keep like rising. An old man. I went. I became an old writing hand, mm-hmm. and now I could haze you guys. Speaking yeah. of which. Go do some push-ups in your own vomit. Oh, God. You have no. to, because I've been at my job longer than you have. <laughs> Every, Every three hours. <laughs> Every three hours. I call them up in the middle of the night and wake them up and make them do vomit push-ups. I mean, the thing is, my stomach is empty by now, is the thing. you got to <laughs> make sure to eat a big I'm dinner. I'm just throwing up blood. Then... You're going to take us out to dinner? No. Oh. I hope he gets away with this from the hazing. <laughs> I, hazing. Uh, I was not, in a fraternity in college that technically was not allowed to haze and yeah. did not physically haze but psychologically hazed very well and yeah. with a, use a lot of deception a lot of sudden surprises mm. um that that turned out like <laughs> sudden so like, surprises <laughs> i wonder what this was like, to uh, the surprises they warn you about yeah, hey was, i'm gonna jump out of these bushes at you no but i'm just imagining you but in like, three two <laughs> and i'm jumping out now no, i just i'm imagine, surprised like, but not suddenly surprised <laughs> i just imagine the hazing like being like you open your door and you find a big like bouquet of balloons <laughs> yeah oh, like, where did these come from this is sudden no it was it was a lot it I wasn't do? any like it was a kind of thing that looking back on it which I assume is not the case of physical hazing, but looking back on it, you're like, that was pretty clever and smart putting me through that emotional turmoil. And I <laughs> don't feel any problem doing it again in the next class. But, yeah. you know, physical hazing, I wouldn't think that, you know, quite so much. But. Yeah, you'd feel it. 
Yeah, I feel it. Yeah. Nothing that leaves scars. Nothing that leaves scars. Like just like maybe like a rubber hose or some oranges. Yeah, or rubber pantyhose or <laughs> more pantyhose. Eating oranges, gross. Uh, that was most of what the hazing was. He was eating like a lot of oranges. <laughs> just making sure you didn't get scurvy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This was a fraternity and not a pirate ship. I I, I, I might have just joined an orange club. I might have just joined an or- an orange club. I might have just visited club. Florida. And oh, yeah. I thought that was no, wait, yeah. that was four years so of fraternity. This is, is, what this, I is a, this is one's called a navel. It's yeah. a navel orange. Oh, this is a blood orange. Hmm. Oh, that no, that means it was oppression and exploitation. Oh, yeah. Like Very that movie sad. Blood Orange with Leonardo DiCaprio. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> These oranges were really mined them, in Africa. They call them conflict oranges now. They don't want to. They don't want to. They want, yeah, they that's want way to better. This. Yeah, yeah. They're euphemized. That's actually fine. I, don't, I never thought about because the reason they call them blood diamonds is so people stop buying them. <laughs> Let's look. Yeah. Business is really going down with the blood diamonds. Let's just call them conflict okay. diamonds. <laughs> yeah, conflict diamonds are you know like they just argued over these diamonds. <laughs> You know. Speaking of arguing over diamonds, well, actually, we should get to oh, that. Oh, yeah. Wow. That was a good segue to the movie, but first, we should thank everyone who came out to our 12 round screening yeah. on Friday, not January. Ju- not Jubin. Jubin wasn't there. I did not. I was doesn't busy. care enough about the podcast. Did not care. But we had a sold out crowd, a lot of great fans. It was a really fun night. I hope everyone who came had a good time. We had people from all over the country and otherwise. Mm-hmm. Two guys from out of the country. From out of the country. T- Toronto. Toronto. Two guys took a bus down from Boston just for the screening and then so took the bus is- back. That night, there's a woman from Cincinnati, uh, not John from Cincinnati, a, la- a lady from well, Cincinnati. Well, John from Cincinnati is not a woman and is actually a TV <laughs> well, that's show. What I said. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you guys are pretty popular along mid-sized cities. Oh yeah, Boston, yep. Toronto. Yeah. Toronto's pretty big. Cincinnati, but not, we, not but, so much in the major markets. Here we, yeah, in our hometown. <laughs> but it reminded us, I th- or reminded me at least, that like. People do listen to this stupid thing that we do, mm-hmm. uh, which was a great feeling, and we have a lot of great fans who are just good it. people and who are very friendly and are the kind of fans that we want, yeah. the kind of listeners we want. There was a trivia question about the popcorn uh, trick that was surprisingly detailed. A gentleman rattled off basically our whole shtick about the uh, popcorn trick. They re- people, I'm amazed at how well people know this podcast to the extent of knowing like anecdotes that I've told on it, or like you said, like knowing the popcorn trick problems, basically verbatim, mm-hmm. or uh, it was just very, it, it was impressive. Yeah. So thank you to the fans. Thank you. Everyone who came, we hope to do another one someday. Not for a long time, though. Thank you to the fans. No, it's you and you. <laughs> Even they're not your fans. Oh, I just want it. Well, thank I you mean, guys. I mean, anyway. after this episode, yes, but before yeah. then, no. Free thank you to the fans. <laughs> uh, so speaking of conflict over diamonds... <laughs> Yeah. Uh, what movie did we watch today, Dan? We watched a movie called Trespass. Now, I've not, before this movie came up as a possibility, I had never heard of it, despite the fact that it was directed by Joel Schumacher and stars Nicolas Cage and Nicole Kidman, two of the most famous Nicks in Hollywood. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> did it come out in theaters, Dan? It did come out in theaters, uh, briefly, but it holds the record for shortest window of time between theatrical release and uh, DVD or or video of Yeah, it of any beat kind. the record oh. held by From Justin to Kelly, yeah. which itself was a, just a cash-in on American Idol. Uh, it was but 18 days from theater to DVD. It was in the theater for less than 10 days, and according to Wikipedia, it had a budget of around $35 million, and it grossed around $25,000 in mm-hmm. theaters in 10 days. Now, that's roughly $2,500 a day, for a movie, and that's like, so at any given time, in so during its release, around 250 people saw it a day. <laughs> so is, I did not know 18 days from theater to DVD. I feel like, I feel like the, the first day it's in theaters, you got to start running off the DVDs, right? Like they had to know like right away. 
This is this, we got to get this. They out. knew this, this is was going to be go. a huge hit, so they just made the DVDs ahead of time. Just get stacked they knew this warehouses. Was just be, yeah. People are going to be climbing up the walls trying to get into the studio well, to take these DVDs. Yeah. From it us. really punches up too, like how false that like release window is. Like they don't need they don't need a lot of time to gear up to oh, get no, those DVDs not. out there. Well, it's like the old thing with, when the state DVDs were not available, but they had been made. And MTV had done a DVD set for the TV show The State and then just left them in a warehouse for, like, <laughs> o- years, over a year at least. And you would see online people from the state be like, yeah, please write a letter to MTV to tell them to release this thing that is made already that will cost them no more money to yeah. do anything with. A hostage, if you will, which gets us back to... Speaking of hostages, trespass. this movie, Trespass. We've been speaking of Trespass without talking about Trespass several times already. <laughs> now... I at first thought this was a Spanish movie called Trace Pas, <laughs> about three passages. I feel like, again, we're getting off track, but I went to a Spanish restaurant last week, and I very much enjoyed it. I don't know what that has to do with <laughs> anything that we're talking about, save that for uh, the podcast, our cooking podcast. A lot of people think it's about pot. It's actually about cooking things in pots. Yeah, the Hashcast <laughs> is uh, the, the podcast. And don't get it mixed up with our Potscast, which is our Annie Pots podcast. You guys, you guys we just talk about Annie Pots. <laughs> a lot about Hot to Trot. Hot to Trot, <laughs> Ghostbusters, Ghostbusters uh, 2, that which, show that she did on Lifetime where she was friends with a black lady. I feel you guys need to like, just sort of in, consolidate these podcasts. Who's Harry, who's Harry Crumb? Everyone was in Who's Harry Crumb. Okay. It was a variable who's who of Who's Harry Crumb. <laughs> All but, these, these multiple podcasts wouldn't be such a big deal if you guys didn't have them bleed over into every each podcast. There really is a you know? lot of overlap. There's a lot of a lot bleeding of in. Very confusing yeah. names. There's the Cast Cast, our fishing podcast. Poorly the Cast's of. Cast, which is our Broken Bones podcast. The Cash uh, Cast, which is the our Cash Cab podcast. Yeah, that's where we drive people around in our podcast and ask them quiz questions. <laughs> which is not to be confused with the Crash Cast, where you drive that same car but crash it into... Various Poles, objects, yeah, you know, walls, things like that, yeah, yeah store windows. Uh, so anyway, and there's also our crash cast, which is our discussion of the movie Crash, <laughs> right? Every week, <laughs> which just... is by far the most popular one. You guys, that that one gets a lot of views. Oh yeah, so anyway, Oscar the, nominated. The point I wanted to make was that it seems like more people may hear about the movie from this podcast than ever actually watched it. And which, we're doing a service to Joel Schumacher. Yes, would normally make me feel bad, but it's. Joel Schumacher and Nicolas Cage and Nicole Kidman. Like, they're big names in this movie. And it's the return, the triumphant return of Cam Gigandit to the podcast. <laughs> our favorite name. Mm-hmm. Our, our name favorite that actor. Favorite name, name that we're not sure. It could it could be Gajande, but we're going to keep saying Cam Gajandit. Cam Gajandit. It's, it's more fun to say. It sounds like a kid robot. And uh, the daughter in this movie, also a previous Flophouse uh, star. No, from, I don't think it was the daughter. Uh, my soul to take. It was the, it, I don't think it was the daughter, was it? Oh, not the daughter. It the was friend of the daughter. The friend of the daughter, Kendra. Friend of the daughter. Who we briefly see in a low-cut top, and then mm-hmm. we don't see her much. But and anyway. We spend the rest of the movie wishing that we saw her again. But what's the, okay, so we know the movie was a big bomb. We know it stars Nick's, plural, and right. uh, old old fan, friend of the podcast, Nicolas Cage. What's the movie about, you ask? Uh, what's the movie about, Elliot? I'm glad you asked. Nicholas Cage <laughs> is a diamond broker with a big fancy modernist house. He's married to Nicole Kidman, but it's a cold marriage. There's no sex between them. And we know this because he breaks a dinner date to go do business and we see her wistfully looking at underpants that she had wanted to wear. <laughs> and for then him. she tries to kiss him and he like moves his face He's away. He's like and a cold like, fish. I don't know why that happens. And but. and they have a daughter who argues with her parents and and sneaks out of the house to go to a party. And now Nicolas Cage's performance starts out being kind of bland and by the end of the movie becomes ridiculous. But uh, we'll get to that. The uh, So Nicolas Cage and Nicole Kidman are at home. Suddenly 
uh, a sheriff knocks on the door and says, we need you to let us into the house. There's been trouble in the neighborhood. Turns out it's not the sheriff. It's a bunch of robbers disguised as security people. And they have been following Nicolas Cage around for days, watching him do things. And they're convinced he has millions of dollars and diamonds all over the house. You're, you're aware from the start that these guys are robbers because the security cam in this incredibly elaborate and complex security system this house has only shows their chests where you see the badge. It's a chest-high security cam. It's a chest-high security cam, which seems like a, a major overlap or oversight in the movie until you learn, and there's like, and this is one of many twists in the movie, that the security cam system itself was installed... By the crooks. By the crooks. Led by Cam Gajandit. Mm-hmm. Led by Cam Gajandit. Gams Gamandit. Gams Gamandit. Gams Gamandit, who, uh, he, but, uh, it's, there's so many twists and turns in this movie. It's hard to, it's hard to remember all of them, but, uh, there is a chest-high... Uh, cleavage cam security camera um there's they go in Nicolas Cage won't let them open up his safe he says he doesn't have any diamonds uh mm-hmm. and then it turns out let's just go through the twists in no particular order shall we yes so cam Gajandit, Well, i mean the thing is like it's it, it's a pretty basic uh it's a very basic home, home invasion, invasion story until yeah. all of a sudden they throw like eight twists at you <laughs> like one after yeah. the other the first 35 minutes of the movie are very straightforward then it gets a little like slow, and then it's just twist after twist, just like constant twistiness. Uh, Cam- so Cam Gajandit put in the security cameras. It appears he also slept with Nicole Kidman because she's lonely while he was there. Yeah, which is also suggested by a lot of longing looks the two give to each other in flashbacks that are superimposed on each other. Yeah. Joel Schumacher uses everything in his bag of tricks, yeah. in his directorial <laughs> toolbox. <laughs> To show us there's chemistry between these yeah. two, which he needs because in real life there is no chemistry between these two. There's there's no chemistry between anybody, I don't think, in this yeah. entire movie. Like they, Nobody really seems to connect to anybody else. I think they're all shot on different days. I think yeah. we're <laughs> the opposite. Together with it's computers. A lot, of, yeah. a lot of single shots. It's like Lord of the Rings. Yeah. They decided they to experiment. They wanted to shoot a movie the same way you record voices for a cartoon. Yeah. Just mm-hmm. different people separately. Different rooms. Okay, what? the daughter comes back. And there's a lot of running around and a lot of yelling and people going, shut the fuck up, get the fuck down, you know, like just firing guns in the air. Nicolas Cage gets shot like two or three times. That's one thing also is that the very first second something goes wrong, all four of these uh, crooks just fall apart. Like They They just start yelling at each other. Yeah, they've all got numerous entanglements themselves and cannot keep it together. It's three, three guys and a girl. And mm-hmm. a pizza place. Yeah. And uh, the guy. That's hilarious. And the leader of the robbers and the girl are have a relationship. The girl is a drug addict and immediately leaves the room when the robbery starts to go yeah. smoke crack, I guess. Yeah. Like, and yeah. trying Nicole Kidman's clothes. And trying Nicole Kidman's clothes and watch Nicole Kidman's baby movies from when their daughter was growing up. Which just seems to be an excuse to see her in a thong a couple times. Yeah. Which, again, Dan not is, complaining. Dan is fine with that. But uh, It definitely seems that she gratuitous. breaks down at the beginning of the movie and spends the entire rest of the movie broken down. Like, like in wandering tears. around in a haze. Yeah, yeah, like not making any sense, mm-hmm. like begging everybody. A real everybody. Lady Macbeth. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a real lady in the tramp, Macbeth. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't see the Shakespearean parallels until yeah. just now. But now this makes a lady Macbeth and the tramp. Sense. Either that that works, right? Lady Macbeth and the tramp. Tramp. Sure. Why don't you make that hit YouTube video? Ellie? I think I will. And he, she tells the tramp to kill the Italian chefs, <laughs> so they can run the Italian restaurant and have all the spaghetti they want. Uh, the, the it's a the web of relationships is that the girlfriend 
the the female robber is the girlfriend of the older brother robber. The, mm-hmm. Oh, the they are two. The robber who slept with Nicole Kidman and installed the security camera is brothers with the lead robber. Yes, the younger older. brother who does a lot of yelling about you. Got, it's called trust. We need to establish trust here mm-hmm. between us and you people that we're robbing. Nicholas Cage tells them. And then there's a, but there's also like a hulking guy who they all seem scared of. Yeah, that even the robbers right. are afraid of. Uh, it turns out Nicholas Cage says to them, "We don't have any money. It's all debt. It's we're more. We thought we owned this house, but it owns us." Which briefly makes you think maybe the house is haunted, <laughs> but it's not. They just have a very. They're underwater on this house. It's very topical, and uh, that he says we don't have any diamonds. We don't have any money. Uh, they say like, "Oh no, what are we gonna do? There's got to be something." And the lead driver says, "We need this money to buy a kidney for our mom who's dying. So we need to take your daughter's kidney." And John Nicholas Cage is like, "No, no, take my kidney, take my kidney." And they're about to slash his back open, and the lead driver's like, "We don't need any kidneys. <laughs> yeah. We're here for money." And yeah. then it's, so why did we bother with that? What's the? There's uh, the, it's only the beginning of the movie. They're there to get supposedly the diamonds, and yeah. and Nicholas Cage suggests a plan because he said the diamonds are. Are laser micro etched uh, to be coded to whoever owns them, and he suggests to them that he be their middleman. So they essentially rob the diamonds from him, and he they give them, them back to him, and then he gives them the money. Yeah, this is a very is it, this this takes up like a good like ten minutes at least. Yeah. Well, they establish the beginning so it goes that Nicholas from diamonds to money to kidney, and then yeah. back to money. and then back to money. <laughs> Nicholas Cage they establish is like a smooth talking salesman, like he's a hustler. He gets by on his being able to argue people and convince them. And you think that's going to be his way out of this predicament, but it never really works that well. Yeah. And yeah. usually he ends up shot or stabbed <laughs> or just with his hand crushed or just beat up. Uh, I, li- I like the idea that like this happens to him every day, like his, his uh, smooth talking ways that he tries and then it'll be getting him shot or <laughs> stabbed in the hand. He just lives sort of home bloody every, every day. day. His house is not worth it. <laughs> Even if we have an infinity pool, it's not worth it. <laughs> yeah. Let's just—I'll just go through the twists quickly, and then we talk talking about what order people get killed in. Great. Uh, so he says we don't have any diamonds. Then uh, it turned—they ask for a kidney. Turns out they don't want a kidney. Then it turns out that the relationship between Cam Gajandit, there's a lot of mind games that people are playing with each other. Mm-hmm. Then it turns out Cam Gajandit imagined the whole relationship yeah, he's with Nicole Kidman. Antipsychotic meds, and he is on, on antipsychotic medicine. Uh, and then the older brother throws the medicine away yeah. for I don't know I'm not sure what reason. Uh, oh, those are tic tacs. Like he was not taking. He was well. That's what the older brother says, but I'm not. Oh, you're saying he was just pretending the he entire time. He was pretending to take anti- oh, psychotic meds, but he but he was just tic tacs, and the older brother realized that when he tries them himself. Ah, uh, I see. Uh, maybe they were just the kind of meds that give you minty fresh, minty fresh. Yeah, breath. yeah, yeah. Uh, what, there was another. Oh, so and then it turns out. He needs the money because the lead brother is a drug dealer for the mob, mm-hmm. and his girlfriend, the girl, is a stripper for the same mobster. And so he was doing so well as a drug dealer that they gave him this huge shipment of Coke, $180,000 worth, and while he was having sex in the front seat of his car with his girlfriend, robbers come up and steal the drugs from him. So right. he needs the money to pay back for the drugs he lost. And that's why they're so scared of the hulking guy, because the hulking guy is from, like, the drug Works for the mobster. Yeah. But then it turns out that the mobster eventually reveals... The mobster gets injected with a chemical that puts him to sleep for a long time. <laughs> but then when he finally wakes up, he reveals that... Oh, he gets... He's attacking Cam Gajandit. The older brother shoots him in the back to save Cam Gajandit. And then as he's dying... It's like an opera where someone has yeah. a lot of time after their shot to talk. Uh, he explains that, no, you don't understand. Your brother set you up. 
the mob stole those drugs back from you that it gave to you so that you'd be under their thumb and do anything they said. And it was because your brother told us where you were going to be with the drugs. So we stole them back and your brother betrayed you. Yeah. Uh, and then he dies. And then... There's, all, there's a lot, there's a lot of running lot of around shit. and chasing. There's a lot of yelling. Uh, Nicolas Cage gets beat up a lot. Yeah, the lead brother is going to kill Nicole Kidman, but then Cambry Janet kills the brother because he's to in love To save with... Nicole Kidman. Yeah. Nicolas Cage shoot, And then Cambry Janet finds out there really is a lot of money in the basement. There's hundreds of thousands of dollars. That's the final twist. That's the final twist. And then there's somehow was... gasoline got knocked over, and Nicolas Cage lights it on fire Cam and then takes a nail gun and shoots the nails into Cam Gajandit's feet so he can't move. <laughs> and he gets engulfed in flame, and uh, the family escapes. Well, and Nic Yeah, Nicole Kidman comes in and, and gets uh, Nicolas Cage, who's been shot in the inside of the leg, which, by the way, is where your femoral artery is and where you would bleed out immediately, yeah. like within seconds. Uh, but he got shot in the inside leg, and then like later he gets shot in the gut, and he manages to do all this to Cam Gajandit, and, and Nicole Kidman takes him out, and at the end of the movie, they're all on the lawn. The house and is on fire. You have, and then cut to credits, and you have no idea whether he's. They're lying on the ground. What? The three of them, one on top of each other, like a family, lies down. Mm -hmm. And right. then you hear sirens in the background, fade to black. Mm -hmm. So all the robbers are dead. A security guard, a real security guard, who shows up near the end of the movie, gets shot dead by Cam Gajandit. And there's also well, it, and the girl robber yeah she's so the daughter says i know where there is money i was at this party this is something we see earlier she's at a party and the douchebag who is running the party to impress her shows her a uh, safe with a gun in it and like tons and tons of cash in bricks and he's like there's a hundred thousand dollars in here you know in case of i don't know the economy collapses or 9-11 or something like i don't remember what he says it's really stupid and she leaves the party so she says I can take you to this house. It's 20 minutes away. We'll get lots of money. And the girl robber goes with her in a car. But be not before changing back into a thong again. Not before they change their clothes into party clothes. <laughs> <laughs> Look, they don't want to be uh, uh, conspicuous while they're uh, robbing money from this party. Yeah, I guess so, yeah. And then the, gr the robber girl's like, I'm going to shoot all your friends. I'm going to shoot everybody because you can't do anything about it because you can't do anything. And the girl drives... It speeds up the car and aims for a traffic pole and then quickly unla unlatches the robber's uh, seatbelt. Car crashes. Next thing we see, the airbags have not gone off. The girl is fine. The girl robber is, I don't know, dead? I don't know what, but she's just sitting there. The yeah, car she's... is in pretty good shape considering it just crashed, and the, and, uh, the daughter runs away. But this is, uh, and I, I said it at the time, this is my favorite thing in the whole movie because... Early in the movie, uh, when the uh, the daughter sneaks out and she like Kendra's driving her, Kendra almost crashes into that same traffic pole, and so it, it feels like the like the movie feels like it needs to set up the fact that people can crash into poles, <laughs> or else we're not gonna believe the way that this woman gets killed at the end of the movie. Yeah, I mean, this is a movie that's so intricately plotted. Mm -hmm. Just yeah. everything's that's there. Everything right. pays off. Everything pays off. That's that, except for the, everything. The, one of the great things about this movie is characters suddenly go from being like cowardly and sniveling on the floor to suddenly doing an enormous act of bravery. <laughs> like at one point, Nicole Kidman, who is like most of the movie is on the floor crying of some sort, begging uh, the robbers to leave her family alone. 
gets up, like, puts a guy in an arm lock and grabs a syringe and, like, points it very close to his neck and just starts shouting commands to all the robbers <laughs> as if she was... I honestly expected some sort of, like, secret to be that she was trained in some sort of martial arts or, <laughs> like, a cop herself. It was so fluid and quick. And then... It's, it's the, like, in movies where you, where you see, like, ordinary people are really good at punching and can take a lot of punishment. Like, this is that kind of movie. Yeah. I mean, this is supposed to be an average family, but, like, they're pretty good at fighting, and Nicolas Cage takes a shitload of punishment. Like, they crush his hand, they shoot him a couple times. <laughs> a couple, yes. Well, but the other thing, I mean, like, there's that, but there's the flip side of that, which is when they, like, seem utterly incompetent. Like, there's a point the at family which... family? I mean, everybody seems incompetent. In yeah, movie. but there's a point at which, like, a knife gets stabbed into a, a table right next to Nicolas Cage, and Nicolas Cage basically does that, like, comedy thing where, like, you turn your, like, fingers into someone walking along the, <laughs> he's the like, table. The he's two like, robbers are arguing, and he's gonna he's slowly reaching over to pick up that knife. But it's like he's it's like he's in a slow pick-up-a-knife contest. Yeah. Like, how slow could you pick up a knife? And it's also one of those things where, you know, I feel like anyone with any any experience in life sort of knows that if you want to do something surreptitiously, you do it quickly. Rather than stretching it out as long <laughs> yeah. as you possibly can, so like, like you just grab the knife and stab someone. Like he knows that uh, robbers have vision, like frogs or T Rexes. Oh, right. They see motion. They can't see yeah. things that are standing still. It's like it's that's like just in, science. Uh, that's science. It's like an actual movie theater is when somebody wants to like open, like unwrap something and just does it very slowly, <laughs> which is like a hundred times worse than just opening it right away. I'm gonna extend this crinkling as long yeah, as I yeah. can. But the robbers are really shitty at being robbers too. Like they they break into the house and they're like, "We know everything about you. We've been watching you. We know everything." And over the course of the movie, it's revealed that they really don't know what they're doing. They have yeah. no plan. All of them are crazy. They don't like each other and. It, like you would only need to tweak this a little bit for it to be like a knockabout farce about like incompetent robbers. You just need one person to dress as a different gender in order for this to be just a complete farce. <laughs> well, what we're talking about during the movie, like it was like, okay, well, the robbers think that they have all these diamonds. Oh, Nicholas Cage doesn't have any diamonds. Then they think he has a bunch of money. It's like, oh, it turns out he doesn't have the money. Then there's a necklace that they're going to get. Like, oh, they get the necklace and they he's like, oh, it's fake. I, I traded it in I, for the house. Like, and they smash it like a fake necklace. And, and it turns into a movie about like hostages that bedevil the <laughs> hostage. Takers, like, oh, come on, you're just wasting our time now, Nick. The hostage takers are like falling apart by the end of the movie, (laughs) they they don't really seem like much of a threat. Yeah, they're like, I feel like it's like most of these like hostage movies or invasion or heist movies have like one wild card, but everyone of the robbers in this movie is a wild card. It feels like the screener was like, why don't I make them all wild cards? (laughs) What anyone's gonna do at any one point, even the guy who's like the big tough guy who's a professional who's there to keep them in line, is kind of a crazy person who flies yeah. off the handle. Yeah. A crazy person. There's the drug addict stripper lady. There's the fuck-up drug dealer. And then there's the person who's on antipsychotic <laughs> medi- medication. I mean, it's like the movie. X-Men. Sounds like a superhero team. <laughs> yeah. That's one... Although I, I will say the number of twists and the way they're all revealed, every twist is revealed in a very dramatic monologue or some sort of shocked utterance that is then followed by the next person hearing it saying... What did you just say? <laughs> it's all very. It, it, not yeah. only are there so many twists, but they're all revealed as as if they're the only twists in the movie <laughs> yeah. that explains it, and which then, becomes very entertaining to me after. And all. Then the druggy girlfriend's like, "No, no, no, yeah. no, no, come on." Yeah, after a certain point, you'd think that they'd just be like, "Oh, yeah, okay, yeah, I buy that. I get it. Everything is going wrong." 
The uh, I mean, I guess in a way that's more realistic. I mean, this is probably more like there's nothing the way... realistic about this. <laughs> no, just, no, no, this is not in any way what real no, life just, is like. <laughs> it's probably more realistic that that's what like a group of criminals is like. I'm saying like a group of well, yeah, they, semi-incompetence. They are yeah. most criminals are not a crack elite. It's not like Die yeah. Hard where they're an elite squad of mercenaries <laughs> yeah. that have everything timed out to the second. And it's only the one X factor of a New York City cop with no shoes. Oh, my God. This sounds like a good movie. Yeah, well, it, it was made already years ago. Oh, no. Elliot, <laughs> you should... I'm, I'm looking forward to this movie you're making. No, I'm not making it. It's been made. It's all Die Hard. Weird, what a I would big like movie to give you $2 million to make this movie. The movie cost way more than $2 million. Well, I think I can only raise $2 million. <laughs> I'm amazed you can raise that much. I'll, I'll, I'll take this money and I'll, I'll make this movie. I'll, I'll give you a DVD of this movie <laughs> that I'll make it for just $2 million. I'll I guarantee you. I'll get Bruce Willis to be in it, but he'll look younger. See, Jubin is the kind of can-do guy I'm looking for, Elliot. It's always no with you. You're right. I'm a can't-do guy. I can't make a movie that was already made 20 years ago. One thing I like about about this movie is the fact that uh, is the fact that like with all these twists, like the very first five minutes of this break in, it seems like this is like a SEAL Team Six operation. Like they're yeah, they do they they even do, do like the the trick where they're like, what's the code to the alarm? And it gives them the wrong code. But they know they, the right code. And they know the right code. So you're thinking like, oh, these guys like tracked him down like a long time. But then like within like two minutes after that, <laughs> everything like they, the, the girls are smoking crack in the, in the room and putting on another dress. The guys are, are like are shouting each other to like calm the fuck down. Which, show, which they're, they're showing a level of falling apart, which usually happens like 90 minutes into a two hour high school. It's, it's as if like Reservoir Dogs start was as if the they all come back from that robbery that went horribly wrong and they're all mad at each other it's as if that that all that happened the minute they walked into the place they were robbing like as if reservoir dogs was about them fucking up this robbery instantly like the only way they could screw it up more is if like they couldn't get the door open or if they hold up their guns and the cartridges are just falling right the clips are just falling right out of the bottom their pants are falling down. They, they, you know, their masks just disappear because they're made out of like some kind of flash paper. It's... But likewise, I mean, like Nicholas, their Cage. moms are in the bank. <laughs> like Junior, <laughs> no. This is this is also, and as a result, this is the shoutiest movie I think we've ever seen in this podcast. Yeah. Oh almost really? Every oh, and we and we showed and we watched twelve rounds, which is a loud movie. But almost every line in this movie is "Shut the fuck up!" Yeah. or like "Get the fuck down!" or "No, no, no!" That basically. Well, that's what I was gonna say. Is that Nicholas Cage goes from like the boring, uh, like disengaged Nicolas Cage that we've seen a lot of recently yeah. to like crazy fucking Nicolas Cage he very does, quickly. He does a lot of talking like this. Near yeah. the end. It's like his voice, it's like he, his voice, it goes from like Zero to Giamatti to George Lucas. <laughs> like those are the voices. So he's like, leave my family alone to like, do you ever know the etymology of the word diamond? <laughs> it's well, like, why? Why bother with that? But also, like, immediately upon getting kidnapped, like, he is at climax levels <laughs> yeah. of, like, yelling and despair and craziness. It's, I mean, it is like a weird, like, it, it is like uh, a uh, home invasion Joel Schumacher, Tennessee Williams thing going on. <laughs> <laughs> That's another thing, too, by the way, which is, which like what you're saying about the etymology of diamonds? Like several times in the movie, Nicolas Cage gives almost like a mini lecture on some subject. At one point, even starts like discussing with the robbers the leverage he has and what leverage is and how it's useful in <laughs> yeah. his negotiations. Well, which was, and I don't know if that's it was a promotion for the show Leverage. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's, wow. it's one of those. There's, a, there's something that started out as kind of a neat thing in movies where characters would give little mini speeches on like 
weird subjects like and then it got totally overused and like aaron sorkin does it in everything he writes but every it seems like every character has their little speech where they're like you know when i was a boy my mom always used to tell me and here's what's interesting about that and here's a a fact i heard somewhere and it's like maybe one of those per movie is okay Hmm. but like all the characters seem like they just read a really interesting book and they can't wait to share. <laughs> like, or they they heard something on Jeopardy that they didn't know and but they're going to tell everybody what it is. I mean, to go back to Reservoir Dogs, I mean, I feel like Quentin Tarantino is good at doing that. He's and, good, at, but he, and people see that and they're like, "Oh, I can do that." And, and the thing is, that became like one of the ticks that people picked up yeah. on about Tarantino. But he doesn't do it as much as you think he does. It's just when he does it, they're memorable. Mo- like the whole Royale with Cheese thing in Pulp Fiction, like. There's not that many other things like that in the movie right. where there's just kind of like a non sequitur fact talk, you know, or something yeah. like that. Yeah. But like a virgin thing at the beginning of Reservoir Dogs is like that's really the only yeah. the only thing there, yeah. And in Glorious Bastards, it's when Christoph Waltz goes through the basically the plot of each season of Charles in Charge. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's strange. Anachronistic. Yeah. But, but I mean, it works. it's a movie where they, they kill Hitler. It's a Fantasia. So. It's a Fantasia on World War II themes. Yeah. <laughs> See, and then the interesting <laughs> thing is that uh, the the Powell family moves out, a new family moves in, but Charles stays in charge. It was very smart though because he deliberately made a mistake in the third season that got the Jews hiding under the floorboards to be like, that's not right, and that's how they. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's how they discovered so brilliant them. about that scene is you're like, oh, he's he's talking about Charles in charge that all Jews love that, and you're and you want them to be quiet, but they just cannot resist from correcting him. And the irony in the scene is that Christoph Waltz is the one in charge the whole time. Yeah. yeah. What Weird. a good movie, Glorious Bastards. Just well done. <laughs> I mean, it is. I mean, not the crazy version that we just made up. <laughs> Inglorious Charles in charge. I actually, I, I don't mean to, Inglorious to, Bayos. That's what it is. <laughs> I don't mean to shift the discussion to that, but I do remember like watching that movie, not realizing like how much of a like that this is really just going to go off the rails in terms of like historical accuracy. <laughs> Thinking up to like the last two minutes, they've really written themselves into a corner with this fire. Like, how are they going to get <laughs> Hitler out of here? And then like the end, I was, oh, well, I guess, I guess, I guess we're, we're not. And we're what I like, loved about Tarantino's explanation for that was he was like. The characters don't know how history is supposed to go. They don't know that Hitler doesn't die here. So why can't they kill Hitler? And it's such a perfect explanation. Like, yeah, you're right. It's not like the characters are going to leave a back door open because they know Hitler doesn't die till 1945. (laughs) That's true. Yeah, that's a very clever way of responding to it. But anyway, trespass. Uh, I found myself way more entertained by this movie than I thought I was going to be, even though it was really, like, because it was stupid. It was really stupid and loud, and at any given moment, someone was about to get hurt or yell at somebody Mm. else. Or reveal some new motivation that we never knew about. (laughs) And uh, and Cam Gajanet gets into a fight with the big guy at the end, and is just being slammed against the floor. Like, there's a bunch of hits in this that that look like they really hurt. He receives like seven blows that would render anybody automatically unconscious. Yeah, but, but he has psycho strength. He has psycho strength. That's true. That's true. But the that's freshest a... breath and psychoist mind ever. <laughs> uh, Joel Schumacher like makes these movies where he's just really cruel to his characters and really like beats the shit out of them. And it like, oh. I remember in Phone Booth, which is not a good movie. Yeah. But there's one scene where he's on the phone with Kiefer Sutherland while the prostitutes and the pimp are i don't even remember why they want to yell at him but they're like banging on the outside of the phone booth while he's trying to deal with Kiefer Sutherland like he has too much stimuli that he can't all respond yeah. to and that was the only moment in that movie that was any good to me because it was like 
I'm, this is really making me anxious. Like, I, there's too much going on for this character to deal with. Well, I mean, it's something that you can uh, relate to. Like, yeah, know, having, leave me alone in the fucking phone booth. And I, I'm on the phone. And it almost, it doesn't totally make up for the fact that the character in that movie is being punished for having had a lustful thought about a, a woman who is not his wife. Is that really yeah. what the... Yeah, it turns out he has to admit at the end that he was sexually attracted to this woman who works for him, but they never he never acted on it. sleep together. He has to, the, the sniper makes him reveal this to his wife. Like, Basically, he's I, being... She's really sexy, but, and I felt that, but we never acted on it. I never want to date with her. It's like... He's being punished for being a human being. Yeah. yeah. Like Jimmy Carter wrote this script. Like, <laughs> uh, he felt lust in his heart. That's just as bad. <laughs> What's, like, who, who is it doing that? Uh, I forget why, how Kiefer Sutherland knows these things about him. It's this crazy sniper who just traps him in this phone booth. This, this is also the same problem with trespass, the idea that, like, there's no, you don't, the, like, it doesn't matter how a twist is revealed or set up, or if you even relies on information the audience did not know. Any twist is an interesting, new, exciting twist that'll change the audience's, that, that'll, that'll make the audience more excited. Like, and at, at certain points in this movie, especially by the end of it, there's just so much that you just don't really... You, you know, you're no longer invested in any of the characters anymore. You just want, like, the... Yeah. But it almost makes you dependent on the twists for... Yeah. For plot... Uh, for, for just for just being engaged. At a certain number of twists, a certain critical mass of twists, you need, like, many, many more twists. You know? You need, like... <laughs> yeah. you, need, you need nothing but twists after, I would say, like... If it you can't have... an accelerating number. Yeah. If you have, like, three twists in the movie, you need 30 twists. And you need them all to to, to be revealed, like, like exponentially. And, then, well, the on. twists have to get crazier each time. Or bigger each time. So, like... Oh, and it turns out Nicolas Cage is Cam Gajandit's father. And yeah, it turns yeah. out this is a world where apes rule. <laughs> and, uh... Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's a movie. That's what I That's what it was. It. it was a failure of a movie. Uh, but I think that we have to, uh... We have to give our final judgments now. We're about that time. Uh... Final judgments. This is where we decide whether this was a good, bad movie. Whether it is scarily horrifying. No, no, again. Terrifyingly good. Those are only special Shocktober categories. Creepily bad good. (laughs) (laughs) I wish I got the October one. (laughs) (laughs) It's like much more exciting categories. And uh, Stuart sometimes rates it on a scale of wormy boners. Nobody else uses that. that. (laughs) Not a canonical (laughs) method of rating. No one understands what it means. It doesn't mean anything. He makes up the numbers each time. I'm not even really sure what a wormy boner is. <laughs> I'm assuming it's a boner with worms in it. Ah, oh, that's horrible. Gross. Like a corpse boner? Yeah. Just like that movie, Tim Burton's The Corpse Boner? <laughs> yeah. I thought, I thought you said warmy as in like it's a warm, pleasant boner as opposed to the sort of colder... You know, like those cold sort of, boners, the cold, like the like the ones like you're just not from that cold blood that's rushing into your <laughs> <Yeah>. penis, <laughs> so like when Mister Freeze is aroused. Yeah. Okay. Uh, no, is this a good bad movie? A movie that uh, you drive pleasure from because it is bad. A bad bad movie, a movie you just dislike, or a movie you kind of like, one that you find redeeming facets about uh, Elliot. I think I'm gonna say I thought it was a good bad movie. Yeah. I didn't think I was gonna enjoy it at all. Uh, but it was so stupid, and the twists kept coming by the end, and it was so loud and fast that even though it is really bad, it was bad in a funny way. Yeah, Jubin. Uh, yeah, I, would, I guess I would agree with that too. There's like twists are, are pretty entertaining after a certain point. You know, that's like I think I think I would go so far as to say that excessive plot twists are what separate a bad bad movie from a good bad movie. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, I, that's I, uh, the Prang theory of good, bad, bad, bad. Yeah, like the dynamics. separation line. I would say the Prang theory is is, is that the number of plot <laughs> twists is very highly correlated with good, bad. 
It's been a while since we've had one of these, but I'm also going to say... You're right. Too long. <laughs> good, bad. This is a good, bad movie. It's, uh, you know, it's very uh, fast. It's 90 minutes long. I mean, there's a, there's a bit of a drag in the it middle. It definitely gets draggy when the characters have yelled at each other and thrown each other to the ground for yeah. the 80th time. But there's a lot of twists. It's only 90 minutes. It's a master class in terrible acting. Um, there's some good CGI fire at the end. Yeah. Cam yeah, <laughs> Kajana just, like, bursts into flame. <laughs> like... Like he had like a big drink of kerosene before. Yeah, he like, quickly becomes the fire. Like, yeah, very much. I wish they just went all the way and had evil spirits escaping from his body <laughs> while he was on fire. Uh, wow, so uh, that's a good. That's a I'm yeah, happy good, about that. good, bad movie. Yeah. Trespass. It was, it was worth it. I think it was. It was. It was worth a trace. Passos. I have. Uh, I have a few letters to read here. This oh. is the part where we answer fan letters. You guys get fan letters. This is. Oh yeah, this is a. This is a high-class operation you've hooked I up with. I wish I hadn't revealed all that information about my fraternity. I, uh, <laughs> I didn't know it was going to be so popular. Uh, this is from someone who says, call me Mippy on air. Okay, Mippy. <laughs> That's weird. I hope it's not a sex thing. Give me, <laughs> give me the dignity of Mippy. <laughs> <laughs> they call me Mr. Mippy. Uh, and she says, uh, it's, a, it's an email titled Meow. <laughs> Already off with a good start. No, so wow. Mippy wrote to say meow. <laughs> are you sure this more... is? Are you sure this is not? <laughs> it's not a cat who's learned to <laughs> work a computer. Yeah. Uh, no, she says I work in a job that involves watching many film trailers. I'm being deliberately vague to avoid the sack. I think this is why she's calling herself Mippy. Ah, uh, I see. No and you break that code, Mippy. Your podcast makes me feel as though you're watching the whole thing, so I don't have to. So I have a suggestion. Did lesbian vampire killers make it over to the U.S.? I'm intrigued to know if it is awful, only if you are British and familiar with the charmless comedians, which star within. With a title like that, you may expect trashy fun along the lines of brain dead, dead alive, but I have the feeling you won't be getting it. I actually feel like I expect it to be a seduction cinema film with, like, Misty Monday in it. Yeah. Uh, well, I bring this up because uh, to bolster my reputation as pervasoid number one. <laughs> Have you seen this movie already? I've seen Lesbian Vampire Killers. And is I br- it, what? Like, how? Is it a British movie? It's a British movie. It's, it's a tongue-in-chief. I mean, like, it's not... They it's had a, Dan at Lesbian, and they got him at Vampire. <laughs> it's a... You know, no, it's, it's a comedy. It's a horror comedy... Um, uh, it's trying to be a comedy, at least. But uh, this is—I bring this up to just—I feel like diagnose a problem with exploitation films these days, which is that they're not exploitative enough. Mm. Like all of the exploitation, they respect the actresses too much. Uh, Elliot, uh, I know some things, so <laughs> don't pretend to <laughs> respect womankind more than you actually do. But uh, I just—it's interesting to me I know that some like, things. <laughs> it's interesting to me that like two plus two is four for one. So <laughs> be quiet about women. I I just think it's funny that I feel like exploitation, modern exploitation movies, even ones like like especially ones that are like campy or tongue in cheek, like they pack all of the exploitation into the title. Yeah, and then they don't follow through. Like I mean, oh. like they don't they don't have the sense of fun that they need to have. That's what most exploitation movies were like, though. That's like, true. Where they would give you a title that was really crazy and maybe a couple moments for a trailer, and then the rest would be like characters driving between locations or bands that had paid to appear in the movie or things like that. But you're right. There's well, People should have know better than to do that now because they know what makes a good exploitation-y, you know, cheapy movie. You know? Yeah. Like, I, I feel like... 
you know, we should we you know we should have a higher class of exploitation by now, Juven. What would you? What? Because I'm not really familiar with modern exploitation. Movie. What would you say would be like a modern one aside from lesbian vampire killers? One that like would be more popular that I would know about, for example. You know, I mean, Drive Angry 3D was basically a big budget exploitation movie. Unfortunately, it didn't get the balance right, and there were times when it was a little too gross. Like when you had the main like anytime a, a nude woman was on screen, they were either going to get beaten up or traumatized, and it was like a little yeah, too I much. Yeah, I don't need that. But uh, uh. I don't know. Like you know, you I mean, Dan ha- always has a soft spot for movies with you know bikini girls or things like that. You know, or yeah, I mean, people's I like, heads I mean, exploding. But there's, I mean, we all like those things. <laughs> I guess yeah. Fun. When I think of exploitation, I think of like the trauma video, like films of the '80s, like Toxic Avenger. I think of. I guess like private school, like those movies who were they were just ex- basically thinly veiled excuses to show. I do enjoy I mean, the eighties, yeah, TNA eighties comedy. I guess that's what I think of when I think of exploitation. That's probably not what. The, the, and the, and the, then the, then there's the, the horror the side of it, you know, where you have like there was like some great stuff in the eighties, like Reanimator or Evil Dead, that was like not didn't have like the sex thing, but it was like a splatter comedy. Well, it seems like exploitation movies kind of came up because people could make really cheap movies. That they could get a lot of money on fast because they would just put in the elements that would play the lowest common denominator. And then you had – basically it seemed like a generation or two of people who really liked those elements yeah. and were willing to put a certain amount of enthusiasm and craft and energy into making those movies. And they knew what buttons they had to hit, but they hit them harder and better because they liked doing it. It wasn't just a quick cash Grab. But now I feel like we have a generation of people who have nostalgia for the idea of exploitation, but like want like want to make the PG thirteen version. They want to of make it. Accept- they want to make can't. an acceptable mainstream, yeah, re- respectable version, and you can't do it without losing that the the frisson. Yeah, of, exactly. Uh, that oh, made it. I bet you. I bet you. We're ten years out from a Tarantino of eighties TNA movies. Yeah. I really, I really like. Yeah, I think like in ten, fifteen years, you're gonna sign someone like when once our age gets to have control of directorial level studio money, you'll see like a resurgence of like eighties TN, like an homage the way he does I to those seventies slasher like, movies. I kind of feel like the American Pie movies were a little bit like that. Yeah, a little it was about bit. About a bunch of guys just trying to so. get yeah, laid. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, but like Tarantino seems to be one of the few guys who like gets the things that made those exploitation movies yeah. fun and has the and does it to the hilt. You know, yeah, but doesn't do it so much to the hilt that you're like, uh, this makes me feel gross. So to move on, uh, this dot org email is from. You can make a difference. Is this Mippy again? Well, uh, <laughs> I, I I'll just read it because she explains. But uh, it's titled "An Excuse to Get Elliot to Talk Even More." Yay! Oh. I don't need it. I don't need it, baby. <laughs> Let me tell you about my day today. So I woke up. Oh God! Six thirty a.m. Like comes. always. Okay. That. Yeah. It says, uh, I decided that since there's been confusion caused by the similarities in my first name and Dan Dan's wife's first name, mm. I would identify myself using only my last name, which is Aron. I think it's Aron. Maybe Aron. But uh, I'll say Aron. Aragon. Mm-hmm. Aragorn. I was recently perusing a copy of Earth the Book, which I'd stolen from a local book merchant. I don't approve of that. Mm. No residuals for anyone. Or, uh, oh, we don't get royalties on that. Royalties. That's okay. And I noticed that in the chapter on death, there's a picture of the Crypt Keeper. Knowing that Elliot was a writer for the book and knowing that he seems to be a fan of the puntastic corpse, I have to ask, how much begging and pleading was used in order to get the Crypt Keeper in the book? And how many puns went unpublished? 
Take as much time as possible to tell some of those jokes now in the Crypt Keeper's voice, of course. Thanks for all the laughs and tears, gents. I mean, I tears. don't know. <laughs> wow. I don't know whether you can say like what jokes were whose or anything. I can say what joke some of which jokes were mine, but I don't remember whose were whose for all of them. Mm-hmm. I mean, it does not take a lot to get the Crypt Keeper into a Daily Show thing. Uh, <laughs> at some point, it was like the Daily Show decided that certain things that Elliot likes were just gonna go in fairly easily, like the Crypt Keeper or the X Men. Some things don't. I wrote a Mac and Me joke the other day that I thought was great. That didn't get in. Uh, but <laughs> I mean, I you know, culturally, I think that uh, Mac and Me has less penetration. Is a touchstone. Is a, is a, <laughs> is a major touchstone. <laughs> okay. Um, but what was the? So what? What's the? I, I, I I'm sorry. I lost track pic- of the question. Just a picture of the Crypt Keeper. But like that was. I don't think I wrote the Crypt Keeper joke. I don't think. But uh, you know, there's a there's a very specific sensibility. That uh, that the show that the people at the show have, and I fit into it. So, all right. Well, this uh, this this email is titled. But write in and ask about any other jokes, and I'll let you know if I wrote them or not. <laughs> this email is titled uh, "Finally." It's from John. Last name withheld, and it says, "After four years, four months, and eight days of Flophouse episodes, someone finally called time. Dan out on his inability to correctly pronounce the short e sound in the English language." I'm referring to Elliot's confusion starting around 1938 in the Conan the Barbarian episode upon hearing Dan apparently mention winches. <laughs> yeah, you started talking about having sex with winches. Mm-hmm. Why <laughs> this weird. Per- why this particular abuse of our mother tongue happened to catch Elliot's ear, I'll never know. Coming as it did after 93 previous podcasts in which Dan opined about the temperature... <laughs> Observed tense moments. <laughs> Temperature tense, yeah. Discussed revenge plots and marveled at tentacle creatures. <laughs> tentacle. Later Stupid in the Conan episode, <laughs> Dan read a letter in which a listener described Elliot as, according to Dan, a general pedant. <laughs> this is what's commonly known as a teachable moment. <laughs> Here was an opportunity for Dan to practice his short E sound in two consecutive words. Instead, he chose to horribly mispronounce both words, surely angering the pedantic, pedantic champ versus chomp letter writer. But this time, <laughs> his right co-hosts were silent. Stewart, I assume, had slipped into his customary late episode Popeye's induced coma. Doesn't eat Popeye's. Stewart doesn't eat the Popeye's. I do. But when Dan came for the short, He's, it's a Coors Light induced coma. <laughs> when Dan came for the short ease, Elliot also said nothing. Perhaps when Dan comes for the doubled consonants, there will be no one left to speak for Elliot. No. John, last name with that hits me where I live. P.S. Five head and seven pounds seem like tailor made enemies. One demands a particular exact quantity quantity in his crimes, while the other habitually adds one to the expected <laughs> amount. Together, they could launch a golden age of OCD comic rivalries. Now, look, I uh, I like the idea of a five head. Seven pounds crossover, I have to say. Well, let's address this character assassination because of your terrible way with pronouncing things. Well, see, pronouncing. He didn't even catch me there. It's pronouncing things. God, your fans are both obsessive and very critical. Which <laughs> yeah, is the worst they love combination us and of characteristics us. for your fans to have. Yeah. First, let me assure you that in day to day life, I've had plenty of people point out my inability <laughs> to uh, differentiate. Uh, for instance, between uh, the thing people put in clothes Hangers. and the thing people write with. Markers. No. Pen and pen. I say them the same. Pen. Oh, oh yeah. Uh, so you would say pig pen when you mean pig pen. Look. And you would say 
pen pig when you mean a pig that uses a pen? I don't think he switches them. He just can't say one. I speak in most cases with a with a uh, with a perfect newscaster's American accent. In this one case, for some reason, uh, he decides that he needs to be a jerk <laughs> and pick out my charming regionalism. Like say say entomology. Entomology. Yeah, entomology. Yeah. You say it all weird. You know, Tom Brokaw is has that one small glottal stop. I, I feel like this is what distinguishes you and, and gives Tom you that Brokaw, extra. He can't even finish words. But that's his thing, oh, though. Everyone's, oh, all, oh, all the great oh. newscasters have got one small distinguishing characteristics that, that really raise them above just the average effluvia of newscasters. So I'd say this I mean, is It was yeah, like how critical. Walter Cronkite, he only said the with a Spanish accent. Yeah. And, so and, he like... Today, the president went to that kind of thing. I mean, everyone has their charming regionalisms. I mean, no one has called Stewart out on his amazing Fort Wayne accent. I don't. I can't even tell. He sounds like Shakespeare himself. Mm-hmm. Stewart. Has he one sounds of, like the Platonic ideal of the English language. Stewart has one of the most extravagant voices of anyone I've met, and I thought it was just Stewart until I met two other people from I Fort think, Wayne. I think what it is is that Stewart goes out of his way to twist so many of his words, like the fact that he says Samurai. And Meowster. That at that point, I just assume he does any mispronunciations on purpose. No, part of that is like he has he. It is actually a a Fort Wayne drawl. Okay. Um, But uh, I would like to thank the podcast listeners for being enough of a dick (laughs) to point out my mispronunciation. I don't want to come back on this thing if this is the level of fan reception. Yeah, I don't. I I wish we hadn't said my name in the beginning. Are there any other letters? Uh, there are, but let's save the last one for next time because uh, we're, we're running along uh, and, and just get straight to uh, recommendations of movies that we saw that we might want to uh, recommend point people to instead of trespass. But like a although movie compass, we got a lot of joy out of trespass. It's so. not a bad movie. That just it's uh, a, it is a bad with. movie. I mean, it's, it's not. A, it's not. A, it wouldn't be the worst choice to just watch with some friends on a. Yeah. That's true. On a winter night. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> winter. I mean, not a romantic winter. Yeah, you're snowed yeah. in at a cabin. You have the movies yeah. with friends app. You yeah, watch you, this one. This yeah. is a good thing to watch with your friends. They'll get caught up in the story while you are planning how to murder and eat them. Yeah, because <laughs> you don't have enough food in the cabin. Yep. It's a or, winter night. Or if you just want to watch it with them on that winter's night, like what you know, whatever your range of motives are, this is a good <laughs> movie to fulfill them. Uh, should I go first? Sure. I'm going to recommend two things. First. On February 1st, Wednesday night, I'm going to be showing my regular movie, monthly movie screening series at 92 Wide Tribeca. We're showing Dead End with Humphrey Bogart, Sylvia Sidney, Joel McRae. It's a William Wyler movie produced by Samuel Goldwyn, screenplay by Lillian Hellman. All-star cast and before and behind the camera and the movie that introduced the world to the Dead End kids. You might know them as the Bowery Boys. Uh, it's a really good uh Good, bad old movie. classic. No, no, it's a good, good movie. It's an old classic Hollywood drama and very good, and I'll be showing that. I also saw a recently movie that I enjoyed, a comedy called The Good Fairy from the 30s that uh, Preston Sturgis wrote, and then actually I think William Wyler directed that too. Um, and it wasn't an amazing movie, but it was a very delightful, you know, old style 30s comedy. Light like a soap bubble. Dan? Uh, I don't know that I have one. I okay. have to admit it. Jubin? I can't remember movies that I've seen recently. We just we talked about this on the subway here. I, I haven't had time. I've been watching television. I will say that I got HBO Go on my iPad, and I started watching Band of Brothers, which I didn't think I was I was going to like because I feel like there was a, a whole slew of Greatest Generation bullshit that got thrown at us all at once. Yeah, it yeah, really way was. To in, way to invite the, fan le- the negative yeah. letters. <laughs> but uh, No, but this is all prelude to say that I uh, started watching it, and I'm really enjoying it. So uh, 
So uh, that's 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 not a movie, but it's an uh, it's a it's a filmed thing that I have uh, enjoyed recently. Zubin, go. I really uh, I was actually talking about this earlier with uh, with Dan and Elliot about uh, Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy, which I really enjoyed watching the movie version with Gary Oldman. Um, but with I, Gary Oldman, you saw it with him. I saw it with time? him. He was embarrassed to see himself on film, which I think is endearing. But he's, you know, but I was, I was and, telling him, Gary, you're great in this. And you unfortunately, know, he just kept nudging you with his elbow, going, "Here's a good part." Yeah, yeah, Watch really this distracted part. This is a good me. part. It really distracted me. Um, I, I saw it in the theaters, but I had seen the, the Alec Guinness miniseries beforehand, and I would recommend the miniseries and not the movie there's a little twist watch watch <laughs> the movie definitely watch that the movie that is a trespass level a twist trespass level twist watch the miniseries first if you haven't already seen the movie i think you'll enjoy it a bit more it's 6 hours which um it's a, it's a british miniseries from the 70s it's longer but it delves more into the characters um who might be the mole uh and so the the plot is much more richly uh rewarding and the final reveal of the mole is much more uh, rewarding when you know all the possible moles. The movie, I think, is crams it a bit too much. I still think it should have gotten a Best Picture nomination over half of the ones that were revealed uh, yesterday, you've easily. Been, you've been railing against uh, particularly War Horse and Extremely Loud and Incredibly Close getting a nomination over the, Those Taylor were not Soldier Best Picture-worthy movies, yeah. I, I, I think that when, I mean, it's all relative, and I think those, especially... And the Oscars are also ludicrous and bunk. You know. Yeah, you know, I, 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 every time I complain about the Oscars, I always think of that, and it never helps my. Still gets it never you mad. distills my. Yeah, it never, yeah. it never like weakens my anger. It's just it's ridiculous that people who supposedly mm-hmm. do this for a living would be like, well, the help is certainly deserving of a whole night of fanfare. Well, you have a deep well of rage, <laughs> you know, like uh, head in between, like a veil of pleasantness. I do, I do. There's and a you lot know how they things. got that well fracking. Uh, a lot of fracking. It's unbelievable. Really like, what it's not going to help us, guys. No, like, in the long run, it's doing more damage. Really than good. inflated view. Like we're not going to get a hundred years of gas out of that. Who knows what what chemicals they pumped into Juven mm-hmm. to get that well, rage out of there? Also, like the focus of this podcast would have shifted in the last two minutes. It's fifty-eight minutes of movie discussion, two intense minutes of leftist uh, activism. We should save this for the frack cast. <laughs> <laughs> the frack house, which starts right now. Welcome to frack. <laughs> It's very disappointing. People think that it's a Battlestar Galactica fan cast. <laughs> but that's the Galact House. <laughs> the Galaga House is our classic video Galaga game house. cast. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, so, uh, Juben, thank you so much for uh, coming on. Hey, here's the thing. Anything you want to plug? Oh, um... Real quickly. Yeah, sure. Uh, well, I uh, no, Faster. no. There's no. There's nothing I want to plug. Uh, sorry, no. I was, uh, uh, that was a real. Wash, uh, that was yeah. a real dead end. Yeah, <laughs> sorry. A real waste of time. <laughs> it was kind of sprung on me. I have nothing going on right now that's worth anybody knowing about. So, uh, I mean, just just Google Juben praying. Uh, it's spelled, it's like spelled it sounds. Yeah, Jew as in Juben. Yeah. Look, go to IMDb. <laughs> look up the Daily Show. Go down the list of writers. Find the one that looks like it would be a lot of work. A lot of work. <laughs> Google that. Really, and then a lot you'll of work. See things that you just you know browse you'll, through. See you'll see happens. things you wish you hadn't. Yeah. Seen. Uh, but uh, thanks for listening, and thanks again to everyone who came on. Thanks the for, live uh, show. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Oh, our pleasure. Great. Nice work. Thank you. But yeah, thanks for everyone who came to the live show, and for everyone who listened tonight, um, today, to now, and a big thank you to our fans. not your fans it's very presumptuous but uh (laughs) for the flop house i've been dan mccoy i will continue to be elliot kalen or will i and i'm juben parang guest good night everyone (laughs) 
All right, let's get this flop show on the flop road. Flop. We say flop a lot. Oh, okay. Is that what I just got to throw that word in as much as possible? Yeah, if possible. It's like how in space they use space for everything. Yeah. <laughs>